my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. And welcome, everybody, to the Digital Nomad Experts podcast brought to you by Beach Commute. Again, you've got just Jeff and Marissa today, and we are going to talk about the five things that could be holding you back from becoming a digital nomad. There's possibly a lot of things. Like this list could be a dozen or longer, but we're just going to condense it into the five areas that we've seen the most often because Marissa has been talking to dozens, hundreds of people over the course of her career as a, as a consultant, as a career coach. And she has a lot of data to back this up. And she's got a lot of solutions for issues that may keep, be keeping you from being a digital nomad. So Marissa, is that about accurate? Did I, did I overinflate the hundred? Or well, I, think you said, right? I think the number you said was dozen hundred. And I was like, that's a, that's a good number. I've never heard of that one before. Dozen, I'm going to start saying dozen hundred. I've talked to a dozen hundred people. Clean 1,200. Uh, <laughs> but it is. It is. I've talked at conferences of thousands of people, hundreds of people, done tons of one-on-one coaching. And as Jeff said, there's a zillion things to hold people back. And some of the one-on-one coaching I do really gets down to the nitty gritty of you know each individual person. But today we want to kind of pull it back and talk about just the, the most common themes, when we say the five things holding you back, these are going to be the five most likely things that we kind of see across the board. And we're guessing a couple probably resonate with you. So yeah, let's let's jump into it. Okay. So first thing that we've got on the list here, and it's probably, I imagine, the one that comes up the most often, is people say that they just don't think it's a real possibility. Like they wish they could do it. They're probably looking at Instagram influencers traveling all over the world, and they just assume, well, I'm I'm either like not a model or I'm not, you know, I'm not represented by Bud Budweiser or Smirnoff <laughs> or anything like that. That's not available to me. But that's not actually the reality, right? Yeah, that's a great one. So as Jeff is kind of hinting at, this first one is just the people who kind of say, and maybe this is you, like, I wish I could do that. I can't tell you how many uh, messages I get on Instagram or comments or you know story replies that just say, I-, I wish I was doing this. I wish I could live that. And I always just respond, you can, period. Obviously, within the coaching, there's more things that hold us back. But to Jeff's point, I think a lot of people, and maybe this is you, look at Instagram influencers or all the travel bloggers who maybe have 20,000 or 100,000 or a million, you know, who knows, followers. And those are the people you, you see traveling because they're looking to be seen. But there are so many, I say, quote unquote, real people. Those are real people too. But people with normal jobs like you and I, like like tons of people out there who don't have trust funds, who don't have a lot of money, who don't have a zillion followers or just regular people with regular jobs and regular money or lack of money. And we find a way to ha- make it happen. So I think if we could say anything from this first bucket is there are tons of, I'm putting this in air quotes, which you can't see, real regular people just like you who have chosen to find a way to work remotely and travel or make an income and travel the world. And it is absolutely, like, if you are listening to this podcast, it is a possibility for you. We could go into a zillion more details, but that's kind of the top line. Is there anything I can add to that, Jeff, like as you're listening? Yeah, completely agree with you, Marissa. And just to 
push that point home. I've seen just about every type of career while we're traveling. So sure, some are more common than others, but I mean, we see we see writers. That's a really, really common one. We see programmers. We've seen, I'm living with a programmer teacher. He's teaching a whole group of like 60 programmers online now. And I even just kind of fell into this job. I mean, I was in marketing and pretty much anything marketing now is digital marketing. And if you're doing digital marketing, everything you're doing is online. And especially post-pandemic, a lot of companies are just like not looking to pay that rent. And they're profiting more from having you work remote. So, I mean, it's really, it seems like an, an odd idea, but I think that's going to become less and less. And I think people are going to start to see that, oh, I don't need to be famous. I don't need to be an influencer to do this kind of stuff. I can probably just likely do whatever whatever I'm already doing or make a short hop into a different a different career. Yeah. And it's, it's so wild to see because you and I have been traveling for so many years and we have so many friends from all different countries, all different backgrounds, all different types of money, lack of money, again, jobs, ethnicities, ages, living this travel life that has kind of become our circle of, of people and it has become so normal to you and me. And so I forget when I go back home that absolutely not one other person that I know from high school, college, mm-hmm. my days, you know, working, living in New York, living in California, nobody else I know is has transitioned to this life. And it, it still baffles me because I can't mm-hmm. understand why I know you and I love it so much. But I think the, the point I want to say there is when you're at home or in your country or in your just normal network of people, it feels impossible because nobody else or most likely not many other people are living this life. But once you jump into this world, You'll be surprised. I, f- I forget that anyone doesn't live this life anymore because it's, it's hmm. just become our network. But it's it's so possible for anyone. It's totally true. Even when I go home, same exact thing. Like when I tell people about this, they think, "What? What is that?" Like, you're, <laughs> yeah. So you're on vacation. You, so you're on vacation is always the question I get. It's like, ah, no, no, not on vacation. I'm actually working and just in another country, and it still blows their mind. And you're right. You get a little jaded because all we do is work with these people all day long, travel with them. And you just don't assume that there's another life out there. And then you get home and yeah. realize they're like, it's just baffling to them. So yeah, it's still not in the mature phase yet, mostly because of point number one, because people don't think that they can do it, but they absolutely can. Cool. Yeah. Let's jump into point number two. And this one's a really tough one. I have to imagine if the majority of people don't get stuck on point number one, they probably get stuck <laughs> on point number two, where yeah. they don't believe a remote job exists for them. And, and a good example of that is like something, if they're in a traditional career that that uh, requires them to be on the ground, on location, they'll think, well, I can't do this job remote, therefore I can't do any job remote. And, you know, they get probably a little bit of fear of going backtracking in their career and trying to find something that would perfectly suit this lifestyle. And that that keeps them from from, shaking, from taking the jump. So what do you say to these people that are in, in stuck in point number two. Yeah. So point number two, again, as Jeff is saying, is maybe if you're listening, you just don't believe there's any remote job out there for you that works for whether it's progressing in a real career or just doing absolutely anything that you could get paid to do while you travel the world. This is a big one. So as we go through, there's five that we're covering today, and they really kind of go through an order. So once you knock down each one, you're probably going to hit the next one. So once you believe that okay, this is a possibility. There are real people working remotely and traveling. Then we get to number two, which is, okay, if I were to do that, like how could I have a job, have a career, get paid to do that? 
if you're listening, a lot of people out there will say, I, I just don't know what I can do remotely. Like, what is the actual job? And a lot of people, even taking a step backwards with that, don't even know what career they really want to do or love in general, whether they were, you know, whether you're traveling or not. So that's a lot of the work that I really love to do with clients is to help you figure out one, like remote or not, what career are you going to love? And then bring on in the lens because, you know, Jeff and I and Diego have traveled with so many thousands of digital nomads having this lens to see just all the creative ways. Like you wouldn't believe the remote jobs that exist out there. I know here at Beach Commute, we've got tons of resources. We have a whole course that is really dedicated to exactly this to say, which job is right for you? Where do you find these jobs? And then how do you go do it? So what I'll say is it definitely takes some help of having a coach, someone like me or someone like our course to go through and help you question and figure out like, what is the right remote job for you? But for the purposes of this podcast today, what I want you to take away is there is 100% absolutely something you can do that you will enjoy that you can do remotely. If you think a little bit you know, maybe it's a really regular job. Maybe what you're doing today already can be done. And you've just never really asked, never really fully thought about it. Don't believe it's possible. Or you got to be willing to say, if travel is what you want to do in life, like if you want to live the digital nomad life that we're living, you might want to say, I want to pivot a little bit into somewhat of a different career or a different position within my industry. And I want to go remote and it is hundred percent possible for you. Anything I'm missing mm. there, Jeff? I don't think so. I guess I guess the toughest thing somebody <laughs> would sigh. really Yeah, yeah, no. I'm just I'm just trying to put my I got lucked out, you know? Like I I kind yeah. of just came into this thing. I I'm, I'm probably the good person the right person to podcast on this cuz I can devil's advocate a little bit for people because I just lucked I fell into this thing. So, can you give me an example of somebody that had a remote job or I'm sorry, had a normal job, like on the ground job that absolutely would not transfer over to a digital job and found something that they actually enjoy and they're now able to work remote. Yeah. Honestly, most of the people that I talk to, most of the people that I coach don't have jobs that absolutely couldn't be done remotely, but Mm -hmm. their employer isn't letting them go or thinks that they have to be there or has those regulations. Right. So Uh to me, most people, you know, with the exception of I don't know if you're working as a doctor or a dentist or like a veterinarian or a nurse or something, you know, there's travel nurses too. That's a little bit different, but you know, most of those jobs, that's a different conversation where you might have to take the leap. And even then we've had, we've talked about this person on our podcast a lot, a brain surgeon who, you know, really is in a hospital doing Mm -hmm. surgery, but does research some of the months and will travel sometimes. Right. But those mostly aren't like, if that's you, let's chat, you know, that might be a real career pivot that you have to do, or there might be opportunities to go for a month abroad and and work in a hospital Mm -hmm. in a different country or something like that. Right. But most of the people we're talking about are already working remotely. Like they're, they're already doing jobs on their computers that could absolutely be done remotely, but their employer won't let them go for whatever rules uh. or regulations, or they think they, you know, for tax purposes or need to be at with a team for meetings, you know, things like that. So it's mm-hmm. really normal jobs of, of HR project managers of marketing people, um, you know, people who work in technology or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the normal jobs that people are already doing remotely, but yeah. they just don't have permission yet. So within that, the two kind of paths that I have to help are one, 
they don't like their jobs. It's not what they want to be doing anyway. So they come to me to say, like, help me be less miserable in my work regardless. And, and can I do that while I travel? And then the other side is just to say, hey, is it worth leaving the job that you're in to work for a different company in the same mm-hmm. type of role, but find a company that is cool with you traveling yeah. while you do that? So a lot of people are surprised when they're they're in a classically on location job to find out in talking with you and talking with Beach Commuter that that job actually can and is often a remote job. And so yeah. it's a matter of just getting over the next hurdle of talking through logistics and negotiating with your current employer, or like you said, taking the big leap and moving into uh, another company or working for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And we teach all of this inside of our course. We didn't mean this to be for like a promotion of the course today, but really this is, is what it covers all of it and negotiation. <laughs> if you're working somewhere, and again, it has to say travel is what you want the most and it's worth leaving that job to do it. I always say, you know, if you're in a role that you're working from your computer, you'd love to be doing it remotely. A great first step is just starting with your your manager mm-hmm. or your, you know, whoever is in charge at your company to have that conversation with to see first and foremost, if you can take your current job and start getting permission, whether it's a month to start and then you come back or a couple of weeks or, mm-hmm. you know, forever, whatever that might be, that's a great first place to start. And it's really important to negotiate that correctly. And we teach all of that of, How do you ask that? Mm -hmm. How do you make it a win-win, you know, with your company? Because they don't owe you anything, but if you can prove they're going to be happier and a better employer or just as good Mm -hmm. while doing this, that's a great first place to start. And otherwise, a lot of people just are so unhappy in their jobs, they want to transition anyway. And it's kind of a win-win to do at the same time to say, what can I do while traveling? And what can I do Mm -hmm. that I'm going to love anyway? And that's what I love to help people do. Well, a good side note on that is this is the time to do it. This, this great resignation, quote unquote, is like <laughs> yeah. really, really picking. Are you seeing articles on it? I'm seeing articles every day of people are quitting in like the highest volumes we've ever seen because they want to work remote and because they, well, not necessarily just, just remote, but they just want to work from home and they're kind of tired of what they're doing. And you've now, we've now entered a place where you've got, as we're talking to the workers, mostly here on this podcast, some employers for sure, but mostly to the workers, you've got a buyer's market at this point. It's a very, very unusual situation that we've got right now. So you just know that you do have quite a bit of negotiating power and where you run into a brick wall, you will find another option where you've got some negotiating power and probably another company with your same skill set required that'll let you do it. Yeah, that's a great point. It really is you know, we go through phases within year to year. And right now there were so many people quitting that companies are not all are desperate to hire people, but they really are looking for good employers. And if, if mm-hmm. you know you have that negotiation power to say, I'm going to do a kick-ass job, I'm going to be great. I've got the skills and I want to do this remotely while I travel. And you can back that up and support that you know how to, and you have the tools and the resources to do that. It's a great Fabulous time to do that. It's a, a wonderful yeah. point. Let's go to point number three. Uh, a lot yes. of people think that it's too expensive. I'll yes. jump in here for a second. And because I've done it. a lot of, we've got some resources on beachcommute.com uh, about learning how to travel while working remotely. And I've got an entire infographic on the top 
cheapest places to live across all the major continents. So I've done a lot of research into this. And so when people say they think it's too expensive, they're wrong, flat out, right? <laughs> like there are a lot of places that are, as a matter of fact, I'm living in Columbia right now. This is on every list. If you look up cheapest place to live as an expat, cheapest places to travel as a digital nomad, it's oftentimes going to be much cheaper than your home country. It's one of the more cost-effective places you could possibly live. And you'll some places, I dare to say, you'll even save money. Like that is a reality about how cheap it is. Sure, there are certain places that can be expensive. You head to East or sorry, Western Europe, you're going to spend some money for sure. So some advice from me, if you're going to become a digital nomad tomorrow and you're looking for a place to start, maybe don't start in Amsterdam. Maybe don't start <laughs> in France, right? You you will burn through your savings pretty quickly and you're going to immediately get a bad taste in your mouth about being a digital nomad, and you're going to think, well, this is too expensive. And I did confirm my beliefs. But there are lists and lists and lists of places that you can go, a lot of places in Central America, South America, Eastern Europe that are wildly affordable. And you'll probably find cheaper than, especially if you're coming from North America, probably cheaper than where you're coming from. Marissa, what do you got on this? Yeah, it's a great point. I think when I think back to my life before being a digital nomad and living this way, I'm in a place, well, first of all, I was living in New York and LA, so my rent was astronomically high. So everything mm -hmm. to me is still so exciting because no matter where I go in the world, it's it's cheaper or at least the same price as that, even in some of the most expensive places. So that's kind of my threshold where I'm coming from. But even that being said, before, like when I think about when I was working in an office and just traveling for a vacation, Everything seemed really expensive because you're usually traveling around, you know, holidays where you might have an extra day off and everybody's traveling. So flights are more expensive. You're going to be traveling on the weekends when flights are more expensive and you're booking, let's say you're living, let's just say you're living in the US and you wanted to travel to Europe or Asia or something, you know, it's a full day of travel and it's a big expensive flight there and back. And then you're paying mm -hmm. for expensive, usually hotels of more vacation style. You're eating out every single meal. So, you know, a vacation in of itself could have been a thousand, two thousand dollars, like if you're doing a big international trip, right? Mm -hmm. Just as vacation. So that was kind of my reference point. And so I think a uh -huh. lot of people have that same one. And you, you know, you still have your rent that you're paying at home on top of this. So it is expensive. And if that's the lens you're looking at, the difference of when you're a digital nomad is you you don't most people don't have rent at home. So you've let go of your lease or you have someone renting out your place while you're gone. So that doesn't exist. And then if you wanted to travel to Asia, for example, you booked one flight there and then you're taking super cheap regional flights or trains or traveling by land, you know, by car or motorcycle or whatever you're doing, boat, mm -hmm. whatever, right? I've done it all to the different countries around. So you're knocking out all these different countries and then your rent is is way less. So you're living in Airbnb where, you know, you could spend $400 a month or $1,000 a month, you know, depending mm -hmm. where you are or more, whatever you want to pay, depending where you go. And you're eating like a local. You go to the grocery store, you eat normally, you're not eating at like high-end restaurants every night. So as Jeff was, that was kind of the reasons why, but as Jeff is saying, it usually is less expensive depending on, you know, where you're living to start than you're used to at home. But we kind of have this mindset, this mindset of traveling like it's vacation. And I think that's where 
the, what do you call it, the sort of misconception comes from that it's too expensive to travel, but it's actually far cheaper to live as a nomad because you can go to countries where, where rent is just less expensive than probably where you're living. That's the point. And also it's probably worth discussing if you're going to become a digital nomad in the next couple of months. Don't go to a five-star all-inclusive resort. That's not being a digital <laughs> nomad. It's as yeah. glamorous as that sounds. I'll do something like that or I'll ball out for like maybe a week, a year, something like that. But I treat it just like a normal vacation. You know, this right. is not, it's not a lifestyle. And, and plus that becomes unsustainable after a while. You'll be, trust me, you'll become lazy. <laughs> you won't get your work done. You're just going to be, you're just going to be a blob. All right. So that's not a digital nomad life. Generally we're living within our means. And when you go a good, good tip of a good piece of advice is when you're use our guides to choose where you want to go first. We've got some good, very good yeah. guides on that. And also before you even go, just do some research on Airbnb and then also go to numbeo.com, N-U-M-B-E-O.com. And they will do a cost of living translation from where you currently live to where you're moving. And they'll do it for all basic items too. Coca-Cola will be this. An average dinner will be this. Your rent will be this. So do that so you can see what it'll cost you on a day-to-day basis just to eat and get a gym and get a SIM card and all that kind of stuff. And go on Airbnb.com to check out like what the prices are going to be to rent for, like shoot for three weeks a month something like that. You usually get a better discount that way. And you'll get a good sense of like, what can you afford before you even land on the ground? So it's always good to research it before you just jump right in. Yeah, that cool. is a good point. If you're if you're listening, go to Airbnb and just choose some location where you've always dreamt of going and just open it up and like search in a neighborhood and area and search for a month long. So, you know, there's nightly prices, there's weekly, you know, sort of weekly things. But once you hit, you know, over 30 days, you actually get a pretty good discount usually on an Airbnb and it's a lot cheaper than you'd expect it to be. And a lot of people don't know you can negotiate with Airbnb. You can send hosts a message and say, hey, if I'm staying for this long, you know, that way they don't have to deal with new tenants and this and that. And they might give you even more of a discount than it's listed. We talk a lot about that inside of our course of different negotiation. Yeah, just ways to save money and all of that. But it is fun to see, like you really live in real places and you can see, you know, if you're in Bali, for example, Maybe at home you're living in some small place in a neighborhood where you don't really love, I don't know, but you go to Bali and you're in a place with like rice fields and a villa and a pool and it's half the price of where you live. So it's just kind of fun, like start looking Mm -hmm. at the realities of it to get excited. That's a good point. All right. And that brings us next to point number four. And it's the curse of you'll do it, (laughs) I'll do it, quote unquote, one day. So it's the procrastinator. Right, the person that wants to do it, but is too scared to take that first step. Right, they just can't quite nudge themselves in the direction that they want to go. What do you tell these people, Marissa? Oh yeah. Well, when I do one-on-one coaching, everybody's kind of reasoning is different, but these are the people who I love to do a lot of the mindset work. And I know that can be cliche sometimes these days, but mostly it is just our minds holding us back to say all the reasons why we can't do it. And one of those best excuses is you you think that you've gotten through all the other obstacles and you're like, that's nice, but I have all of these reasons and one day I'll do it. I just had someone literally yesterday send me a message on Instagram saying, you've inspired me. I want to live this life. I'm definitely going to transition to it in the next one and a half to two years. 
And I messaged back, I was like, why, why wait? You know, why not now? So to that, you know, with so many things in life, there's never a perfect time. There's never a right time. There's always gonna be an event or a job or a promotion Mm -hmm. or your lease or this or that. So I don't know, I just say, do it one day. I say that now, I'd have to talk to each individual person to understand like, what are your excuses? So I would say, take a piece of paper and literally write down, like, what is the reason you're not doing it tomorrow or a month, you know, two months from now, call it. I'll give you a little bit of time to work through some logistics. But really, I there's something I say in coaching, which is name it to tame it. So write down the reasons why you're not doing it sooner. And again, you'll probably find it's one of the first couple reasons we've talked about or number five, which we'll talk about in a second. But all of this to say, like, don't, don't put it off. Don't say you'll do it one day because it's always going to be one day and, and you'll never make it happen. So trust us when we say, there's never a right time and that could be a negative, but take it as a positive to say like now is the right time. But any other thoughts on that one, Jeff? Yeah. The biggest thing for me with these types of things, these major directional shifts, like a sea change in your life is you mentally project forward how far it's going to, how, how long it's going to take, how hard it's going to be. And we forget the value of tiny little wins right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't jump to the top of the ladder. You just take each individual rung. That's, that's the only way it ever happens. So just set up tiny little goals for yourself. Like tonight, if you were thinking it's too expensive, if that's your, if that's your excuse, your reasoning for not doing this, just go on Airbnb tonight and just do some research and consider that a rung up, up the ladder. Right. And then also, um, if your excuse is, well, my employer won't let me do this. Well, maybe just take a look at our course, right? I don't want this to be too self-promotional, right? But take a look at that. And there are some some ways to do that. Also, if you don't want to take a look at our course, you don't have to. You can just go online and look at your profession on LinkedIn and look up remote. You can actually add that in there as a, as a filter and see what pops up for what you do, right? Consider that yeah. a rung up the ladder. Just something casual. You'd be laying in bed and you've made some progress. And then tomorrow, make a little bit more progress on top of that. And soon that one day that seems like this nebulous, abstract idea way off in the future is actually, you're already halfway there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And even people who have the remote job still still say one day, right? So it's good to, I like, I love what you just said, Jeff, of, of take those little wins if you're listening what are the obstacles that you've heard so far? And just take one little step today to get past it. And then once you get there, just put a date and do it. I know when I first uh-huh. started, I joined Wi-Fi Tribe. That was how I wanted to start. And there was a chapter going to to Bali that I wanted to go to. And that was going in September. And it was January when I applied. So I was like, all right, I've got from January to September to get it together. And had it been a chapter I wanted to go on sooner, it, it would have been that. But set a sooner date, make it happen do everything you can to take the action until then. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, you can do it sooner than you think. Okay. Let's pre- this next one's going to be a little bit meaty. We're going to have to <laughs> unpack some stuff, logistics. And that's yeah. a big one for people as well. So we're, we're talking about a lot of stuff. So if you've got a place at home, especially if you own a place, you're going to have to think about renting it or selling it. If you've got an apartment, getting rid of it or keeping it. What's what you've got two options on that front. How do you store all your stuff? What if you've got pets? We talked about pets on our last podcast. <laughs> family, right? Uh, family and friends. What if you've got obligations? What if you're going to miss them? All that kind of stuff. And then the last one that always comes up, and there's there's plenty more, but the one that always comes up for us is danger. People think it's dangerous, especially when we start talking about 
South and Central America. So let's take these maybe one by one, Marissa. And, and I think I think it would be a good starting point for you to talk about like rent and housing because you've done quite a bit on that front as a digital nomad, as an owner and renting your place. Walk me through that. Yeah. So this is a big one of just what do you do? You know, you're paying rent, you have a home, you have a couch and a bed and a table and like all your clothing and chairs. What do you do? Right. So there's many options. Some people will just decide, all right, I'm burning all the bridges. Like I'm putting everything into storage. I'm selling my home or I'm, you know, waiting till my lease is up and I'm not going to sign anything. I'm going to store my stuff you know, at your parents in a storage unit, sell everything, whatever you choose to do. That is a way to do it, but you also don't have to. When I first went, as I've talked about on some previous podcasts, I owned my place and I rented it out for four months. So I kept all of my, you know, my bed and my towels and my big, you know, couch and tables and furniture. And I just got rid of all my, I didn't get rid. I, I put all my clothes in storage at my parents' house in their basement. So thank you, parents. And uh, but a lot of people get a storage unit or you know, there's lots of options. And I knew that I could come back after those four months. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't know if I'd start this lifestyle and say, you know, that was cool, but I don't like it. I want to be back in my, my place mm-hmm. in my home. And so I had that option. That was like six years ago and I'm still traveling. So obviously, you know, we love the travel life, but, you know, there's many different ways. If you're renting an apartment, look, if you can sublet it, maybe a friend wants to stay there. Sometimes it's under the table if you're allowed to or not. Hopefully you're allowed to rent it or sublet it or or whatever that might be. Mm. But just think about all the options of whether it's, you know, friends. Mostly the people who have rented my place have been like a friend of a friend or my you know, someone, my parents, like friends, niece, or, you know, their neighbors, you know, someone's into town, whoever it is, like, there's tons of creative ways. So that's just, that's a big thing. But yeah, in the whole, this, this kind of category is, there's a lot of things that can and will hold most people back. And we don't want you to be the most people. If you're listening to this podcast, likely you have a dream to travel and it's, there's a lot to overcome. Like that's the honesty of this podcast. Mm -hmm. If you listen to our one last week, you know, the message is it's so worth it. Like if you're dreaming of travel, this life is worth overcoming the rent, the leasing, the storing, all your stuff, all of that. Yeah. And just a little bit of context into what I do. I rent a place yeah. too. So on the other end of the spectrum, I, I rent a place, but I do so with a couple of roommates in my hometown. So if you do end up renting a place and you want to keep a, a spot in your hometown and just just have a place to crash just a, a recharge point which i do like because i've got a dog yeah. and i like to recharge about four to six months a year i would recommend having a roommate especially because once you start traveling with people living alone is pretty tough i don't know it's not good for me so you get a benefit <laughs> of you get some good company when you're recharging at home and on top of that you're able to split up the rent and make it a little bit more affordable. And because I'm there four to six months a year, I can save up for my six to six to eight months a year for, for travel. So it works out just fine, but it's all going to depend on your very specific financial situation, whether or not you're renting or owning. Let's jump into, we talked a little bit about storage, but just on that, it's easy. (laughs) Storage units are everywhere. You can find a storage unit. You can put all your stuff in there. If you have to store it at your parents' house, store it at your brother's house, store it at your sister's house. You'll figure that out. I don't even want to spend too much time on it because it's, it's like, it is an issue, but it's also like, you can work that one out. Pets. We've talked about pets extensively. Marissa, do we want to 
do this again <laughs> how far into pets now probably not we've talked about pets before you can you can find it on a plenty of our other podcasts just in summary i'll just throw out a couple things here trusted house sitters you can get people to stay at your house that are all vetted and they will take care of your pets while you travel and you can do extended trips as well my friends do that quite a bit you can have family members watch them and lastly i've seen people travel with their pets not recommended necessarily, but I've seen it happen. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. Next one, leaving family. So there's two aspects to this, family, friends. I'm going to lump them into the same category. There's two aspects to this. One is if you've got obligations to your family, which is worth discussing. And the second one is just the homesick nature of leaving your family behind. So Marissa, talk to me a little bit about if you've got obligations to your family. We've actually had people write in saying that they've got obligations to their family. What should I do? Uh, That's a tough one. I don't know. Do you think there's a good answer for that? I do. I work with a lot of clients through whether it's guilt leaving to travel or just family, you know, just a lot of, there's so many family issues in general that we, we all have, right? Almost every client I have is working through something with childhood parent or, you know, stuff still going on. So all of that said, if you actually have, and I have clients or people have reached out who are in this exact situation where maybe their family members are getting are sick or getting older or need care or they're like their family's entertainment or, you know, there's the parents who just like love that child so much and couldn't imagine them not being there day to day or week to week. And a lot of people have a lot of guilt leaving that. And really the work to do is the inner work, you know, we're going back to that of working through that guilt and, um, and being self, it's a phrase that people don't like, but being selfish, like putting yourself mm. first and saying, I have a dream to travel and I love my parents, but, or your, or your brother, sister, niece, nephew, you know, whoever it is. And you got to live life for yourself. And if your parents are, you know, healed, great people, they will be proud and happy for you. A lot of people have their own inner work to do a lot of your parents and, and mm-hmm. they'll put that guilt on you. And it's something that you might have to deal with. So there's there's no one quick solution except to really like look inward, do the inner work and know that you have to move forward and again to say like what's important in my life? If I have a if I'm sitting on my deathbed, am I going to wish no regret mm-hmm. never traveling at this time in my life at this moment or or any time? So yeah, whether it's someone who actually needs your care or just, you know, family friends nearby who who love you dearly and wish, you know, mm-hmm. my parents are so thrilled every time I'm home, but they know that travel makes me happy and they support me, but it's hard. Uh, You know, I wish, I wish I was near them and I have a lot of clients for the same. So my overall message here is to say, again, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you have a dream to travel and it's probably pretty important to you. So just know that it's, you know, if if I can wave a magic wand and give you permission to say, it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to put yourself first and to live your life and your parents or your friends or family may or may not get behind you and understand that, but mm-hmm. you got to do it for you. You know, and Mike Dane had a pretty good podcast podcast on this too. This was a while yeah. back folks, about two months ago or so he talked about, this was probably his biggest hurdle getting through was relationships. And he really struggled with, he had a girlfriend at the time he had family and he felt that he was obligated to stay there. And his best advice was just making the choice that this meant enough to him for him mm-hmm. to have to go through a little bit of a hardship. And it yeah. is going to be, it's going to be 
saying goodbye for a little while. And that's, that's the truth of it. It's kind of like ripping off a bandit. It's, it's, if you want yeah. to do this lifestyle, there's going to be, there's no two ways about it. There's going to be a few hard choices that you're going to have to make. And this is, this will be one of them, but it is something that's worthwhile. We're all doing it. <laughs> it's something that's, that's <laughs> worthwhile and you can always go home. Yeah. So we always say to people when they're having a hard time, you can always go home. Always. Yeah, so if you get yeah. too homesick, you can go home. Somebody's having trouble in your family, you can go home. It's no problem. You can get, no matter where you are in the world, you can probably be there within two days at the very, yeah. very longest, right? And and to that, Jeff, like as an example, uh, I have a good friend uh, who both know who I've been traveling with. I'm in Namibia right now in Africa. And I was on mm. actually taking vacation, like on a road trip. When I say in the middle of nowhere, like Northern Africa or like North in this mm-hmm. country and where my Western Africa, she had a family emergency that she literally woke up at 5 a.m., had a phone call, had someone drive her five hours from a national park that day, flew home the next day and and got back. Right. So you, yeah. you to Jeff's point, like should something happen, you know, you you can get home. But all of this to say, like there's there's just there's so many logistical things. But yeah, if you want to live this life, take the leap and, and do it. All right, last thing that we've got on the list, Marissa. And this is the one that I hear hmm, over 50% of the time. Danger. It's dangerous. Right? Especially yeah. when I tell them I'm going down to Colombia or if I tell them <laughs> I'm going down to going down to Mexico, anywhere, anything outside the United States, my friends just assume is naturally dangerous. Uh, do you get that yeah. a lot too? I have to imagine you do. I do. I think people kind of have stopped asking. They just are in shock when I like when I tell <laughs> people where I go and what I'm doing. I feel like just the mouths mm-hmm. drop open and they, they can't even believe it. And I know on social media, um, on TikTok especially, this is a big one that people ask of, of like, can you talk about safety? Like, isn't it dangerous, as, especially as a female? But just I in general. That whether, <laughs> yeah, it's Nothing insane. but flooded with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flooded. And and I forget that it's really a thing because it's we've talked about some. It's not so much my fear, but just as, as a, I guess, a, a super quick thing with safety. So many people, and it's interesting. So Jeff and I are from the U.S. I want to give it that lens for just a second. Mm-hmm. So many people in the U.S. think that everywhere else in the world is so dangerous. Like it's so dangerous to travel here, there, everywhere. And now that I've traveled the world, I look back and to me, the U.S. feels just as or more dangerous, you know, in many different places than so many places that we go in the world. Like hundred percent there's, there's shootings, there's robberies, there's, I don't know, whatever, like theft, there's this, that, and the other anywhere in the States, anywhere in the world. So with that, it's, you know, really important to be mindful and learn, you know, where are you going? Where are the safe neighborhoods? What are the mm-hmm. rules and regulations? I say rules, but like informal things. And as an example, where I'm going to Cape Town from here next, I haven't been there still, but I have a zillion friends who have been and who are there. And everyone says, no matter what, like, do not walk alone at night, you take an Uber, and that is just the rule. Mm-hmm. And so I will do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in Playa Carmen, Mexico, I might be fine walking home at night, but something could also happen. Like I'm mm-hmm. really mindful of, I walk with friends when I can. I take an Uber if I don't feel safe or a taxi. I avoid certain dark streets at certain hours. You know, there's all sorts mm-hmm. of things. This, this will be a whole episode in of itself, but all of this to say, I feel safer in many places in the world than I do, you know, in the States or home. But a lot of it is really trusting mm-hmm. your intuition, trusting your gut, following you know, the right protocols 
in different places and, and learning to travel safely. Mm-hmm. And it is an acquired skill that you get over time. Yeah. You say you felt safer in many places that you travel than you have in the States. I've actually been safer everywhere that I've traveled in the United <laughs> States. I've, I've been held up at knife point and robbed in my hometown, which is just yeah. a tiny, tiny little home. Think- it's a whole, yeah, it's a whole story. They stole my phone. <laughs> they caught the guys right afterwards. Like the security guard watched the whole thing happen. It's, it was, it was, yeah, it was a whole thing, but that was in my hometown. That was just like right outside. And I've lived in Oakland before too, which is one of the more dangerous. Uh, you've been in Atlanta, you know, it's probably kind of similar, fairly dangerous types of cities, had people break into my car, had all, yeah. all kinds of stuff. None of these things have happened while I've traveled. So, I mean, what I always tell people is don't be stupid. Like if you're in a big, it's a big city, wherever you're going, treat it like a big city. Or if it's a new city, treat it like a new city. Just be smart. Yeah. Don't walk around with your phone out and bad things aren't going to happen to you, right? Don't walk around alone at night until you know the area and you know that it's 100% yeah. okay to do. Just It's just all common sense, right? It's not like this. there's this big, bad third world out there that's looking to get you. It doesn't, it's not that, it's not that way. It's just, it's just people living their lives for the most part. And last note on that, when you're traveling somewhere, all you have to do is just look up the bad areas to go. You're, you're not going to naturally book a place in a bad area anyways. It'd be probably kind of hard to do. You'd have to do almost zero research and, and accidentally do that. But so it's probably not going to happen, but just do a little research into where you're going to book. Like you're not going to book in Juarez, Mexico. You're going to book in like a safe place in Mexico City. So all it takes is a little bit of due diligence and you'll be 100% fine. I've heard yeah. of hardly the only stories that I've heard of. It's just opportunistic theft with people losing a phone, people losing a backpack, yeah. that kind of thing. Leaving your backpack a little too close to the door at a at a coffee shop, things like that. So yeah, I want to put a. I was just going to say the same to say we're not naive to say that nothing ever happens. I've actually been super lucky and knock on wood, nothing has happened to me. But same, like you said, you know, I have many a friends who have gotten phone stolen, computers stolen, walking down sure. the street, someone in Bali who, you know, they'll grab your purse if you're on a scooter or that you, you know, well, if you leave it in a place, like you just got to kind of learn the things. Or I know in Colombia, people, you know, certain parts of Colombia, you just don't walk with your phone out, like when you're in between places, but it, you know, things can be taken, can be stolen, things can and, and do happen, right? All of that said, the same things can happen at home. So like Jeff said, learn the rules, be smart, Mm -hmm. start slow. And for me, I always say, you know, I didn't start by solo traveling through the Middle East. That would have terrified me before I started because it was so (laughs) far outside of my comfort zone. Now it's in my comfort zone, but I started small. I went to Costa Rica for two weeks by myself to to start in a little town where I felt really safe, right? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't didn't know that. Uh, Exactly. I was in I was in Puerto Viejo where it turns out it's not very safe at all. So, I, uh, well, it, never it can, know. Yeah, it, it can be dangerous. It's one of the places that you probably don't want to start, but that's funny. Yeah, and I say as well, like I started, like do some group travel, travel with a company like Wi-Fi Tribe or a couple friends, mm-hmm. you know, so you feel safe or or yeah, in a co-living place or just take the baby steps, right? You don't have to go from zero to a hundred. So 100%. that's kind of everything in a nutshell we gave you a a lot of things that are really what are likely holding you back they are maybe it's not every single one of those but as jeff said like take some time after you listen to this and maybe take a few notes of uh, again name it to tame it is the best thing i can tell you from coaching right now with this to say what am i actually afraid of 
and how can I overcome it? Whether you reach out to us for help, do some more research, talk to people. Uh, there's, there's, I don't know, there's just such an amazing life out here. And we share these most common obstacles so that you can overcome them yourself. And I think that's about it. Any any other thoughts to wrap it up, Marissa? No, that's it. I would say if you are still looking for a remote job, check out beachcommute.com slash 91. That is a list of 91 jobs that real people in our community are actually doing while they travel the world. If you just want some inspiration to see what's out there and otherwise reach out to us, take the leap, like take our course, do whatever you have to do. If you have a dream to travel Make it happen today, not one day, or at least we'll give you like a couple months from now, but make it happen very soon, not one day in the future. And we've referenced a lot of other podcasts that dive into deep of each of these categories that we talked about. Check out our other podcasts. We've got a good one with Mike Dane who talks about taking the leap when overcoming challenges of leaving family we've talked about pets in the past i don't know if that was just i don't think there's a pets exclusive podcast might no, have to, one day have to it's gonna happen <laughs> one of these days yeah we could talk about that we've got a lot of good stuff in our previous podcast so thanks everybody for joining us at the digital nomad experts podcast brought to you by beach commute and we will see you next time